Welcome to the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast, your weekly dose of accounting and tax tips specific to small business owners. You will be on your way to growing your business and paying the least amount in taxes as legally possible. Here's your host, Mike Jezoshek, CPA. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we're doing something special, and we kind of talked about this earlier in the year, but this is our first ever listener Q&A episode. So again, what we're doing this year is every once in a while, we're going to hold an episode where listeners can submit their questions, and we're going to answer your questions live on an episode. And that's exactly what we're doing today. So in this podcast episode, some listeners sent some question overs. We're going to go through them. And if you want your question answered on a future episode, go submit it now. Go to www.taxsavingspodcast.com, click podcast on the top, scroll to the bottom, and submit your question. You never know. Your question may be on the next Q&A session. So today, again, we're going to be talking about different questions that came through since our last Q&A session. Let's start knocking them out. We have a question from Bilal. He said, or they said, can you give ideas on how to circumvent or go beyond the $500,000 business loss limitation against personal W income for a high income earner? Strategies that go beyond charitable contribution, conservation easement, green energy credit like solar panels. I'm trying to maximize tax savings for each year. Thanks in advance. Bill, great question. One thing that I would say here is that if you're a high income earner, what we talk about when we look at tax planning, tax strategies, this idea of baseline tax strategies. Baseline tax strategies are available to business owners at all stages of all income levels. And so we say, you know, whatever you are, whether you're making $5,000 a year or $500,000 a year, baseline tax strategies are available to you. If you're a high income earner, and typically we say, say $300,000, $400,000 or more per year, we look into advanced tax strategies. And typically, we're not looking into advanced tax strategies until we've fully utilized baseline tax strategies. So if you fall into that advanced tax strategy category and that high income or high net worth, I recommend reaching out to our team. You know, we can work with you on a specific tax plan. Some of those advanced tax strategies are just a little bit too much for the context of a podcast episode. So we talk about them within our tax minimization program. You can find more information on that. Just go to taxsavingspodcast.com. Otherwise, if you want to connect with one of our team members and talk about how we may be able to offer you a more full service offering, you can find us at Site. Click the pricing tab. You'll see some package options and go from there. But again, what we talk about on the podcast here are what we call baseline tax strategies. Tax strategies that are available to you regardless of your size. Tax strategies available to the masses. We always say everybody should be maximizing baseline tax strategies first. And then if you're in that higher income area tier, let's look at advanced planning, what that might look like for you. Again, advanced planning is just a little bit more deeper, more complex, utilize sometimes some type of legal structure behind it. And for that, we just want to reserve that for you know the people that are specific in needs for it. We talk a lot about these within our tax minimization program. So if you want more information about that, working with us from a full service offering, check out taxsavingspodcast.com or inksite.net, which is our partner accounting firm that we work with. The next question is, is from Curtis. He said, I know you can't write off jeans as a business expense, but what if you attach a patch with your company logo on the pocket? Would that change jeans with a company logo patch to a marketing expense? And Curtis, great question. I think this is one that we see so often 
This is one that we see pop up on TikTok all the time and different things like that. So let's kind of go down to the basics of this. First off, clothing is traditionally not deductible if it's appropriate for everyday use. So if you're a yoga instructor and you're wearing yoga pants and and t-shirts for yoga, those things likely can be used for everyday use and that's traditionally not going to be deductible. However, if you put your logo or brand on your clothing, it then makes it or potentially makes it a deductible advertising expense. Now, when I talk about this, this logo must be obvious for use in promotional activities. So we can't just take, uh, as an example, having a logo on the inside of a suit coat or you know, having uh, something on the inside a sleeve of your arm that has your business logo. That would not do the job. You know, It has to be clear that this logo that we have is used for promotional activities and purposes. So I always say, you know, in this kind of do the sniff test, imagine yourself talking to an iris auditor and would it be easy to prove for them that, yeah, this is for promotional activities. If every piece of clothing you had had a logo on it, I think that would be a hard thing to fight the IRS on to say, yes, all my clothing is always all business and it's got logos on it. So, you know, but if you have a lot of clothing that doesn't, you have some that does, it's a Clearly a promotional activity. You know, I always say, if you're wearing a quarter zip, you're wearing a button-up t-shirt, a polo, something like that with a logo on the chest, that's obvious. That's going to be a a business use. A lot of times for our business, we do t-shirts. So we have a a kind of a saying around here that says, stay humble, hustle hard. It's a t-shirt we put together. That is basically a business deduction. We send it out to new clients. We do things like that with that. So do the sniff test. Imagine yourself talking to an auditor. Does this make sense? But yeah, clothing traditionally not deductible if it's appropriate for everyday use. However, if you do get a logo on there and that logo is clearly for promotional activities, I have no problem taking that. But again, we can't just slap a logo on the inside of a shirt or a suit jacket or something like that and then consider that a business expense. So just kind of be careful there, but obviously take advantage of what is available to you. We have another question here from Yunjin, and sorry if I'm kind of misspelling it, but they said, I am planning to do Airbnb and furnishing with the furniture I already have. Can this furniture be depreciated? So the way I'm understanding this is you got a new Airbnb, new rental opportunity, and you have some furniture in your house that you want to use to to put into that Airbnb. Can that be depreciated? Absolutely. So if you are taking personal furniture and contributing that to your Airbnb and have no personal use of that, you can add that as an asset to the Airbnb business. Now, for the dollar amount, you would use the fair market value or the cost, whichever is lower. So let's say you bought a couch for $2,000, used it for four years, and now you're going to contribute it to the business or the Airbnb business. You know, you're probably not going to contribute $2,000. What's the fair market value of that couch today? Maybe it's $1,200, maybe it's $1,000, whatever it is, that's the amount that you would contribute it in. So you would put that on the books as an expense or an asset, depending on the value, And then you would offset that asset or expense that you put onto the books with an owner's contribution. So think of it just like if you were to put money into the Airbnb business bank account, that's an owner's contribution. You're putting money into the business. It's the same thing, except now you're contributing an asset or an expense to the business. Check out our episode that we did on a capitalization policy. We talk about how setting a capitalization policy where $2,500 is your number. So if you purchase something $2,500 or less, we're just going to expense it immediately as long as we have a capitalization policy in place. If we purchase some $2,500 or more, then we're going to capitalize it and depreciate it. So that's why I say 
The dollar amount's going to depend on if we're capitalizing, depreciating it, or if we're just expensing it immediately. But yes, to answer your question, absolutely. You're going to use the fair market value of the cost, whichever is lower, for contributing that asset into your business, your Airbnb business that has no longer personal use. It's all business use now. Absolutely can get a deduction for that. Next, we have a question from Scott. He said, I am a teacher and contribute to a governmental Roth 457B. Since it is a Roth, I should be able to take it out tax-free, correct? Even before the age of 59 and a half as I plan to separate from service, aka retire at age 54. Is this all correct to assume? And Scott, this is not directly in my wheelhouse. You know, we'd focus a lot on small business owners. So talking about 401ks, SEP IRAs, all those types of things is, is what we are focused on. So this is not in my direct wheelhouse, but that's correct. From my understanding for 457 employees, that's correct. You avoid early withdrawal penalties as long as you no longer hold the job through which your account comes from. Again, that's 457B. So again, not my specific wheelhouse, but that is my understanding of it. We have a question from Will. He said, Dear Mike, thank you for your wonderful podcast and all you do. I have a question regarding trust taxation. Specifically, is only the income generated from assets within an irrevocable trust taxed at the higher tax rates? Or are assets that are transferred to an irrevocable trust also taxed at the higher tax rates if those assets stay within the trust? He said, take as an example, someone with a revocable living trust who passes away in July with $100,000 in stocks. Following his passing, the assets are journaled to a newly established irrevocable trust. Makes sense. From July to December, that $100,000 in stock earns $1,000 in dividends or interest, and no distributions were taken from the trust that year. Would the tax rate apply to the $1,000 in earnings, example income, or also the $100,000 as well that was transferred over? And if it only applies to the $1,000, if one distributed that $100,000 to the individual beneficiary prior to 1231, then I assume there would be no tax due on the, on the trust side, but instead the beneficiary would be responsible for the tax due. All right, so a, a lot of information there, and, you know, and I would say just in general terms, that is correct. The trust is going to pay taxes on the earnings that are left within the trust and not distributed but not on the principal amount, as that is assumed to have already been taxed. So any income or earnings within the trust that is not distributed, the trust is going to pay taxes on it. Any interest or income accumulated within the trust is taxable either to the trust or the beneficiary. So they don't distribute it, it's going to be taxable to the trust. If the trust, the interest income that is distributed by the trust to the beneficiary, then it would be taxable to the beneficiary. So If you have a trust, you have income within that irrevocable trust, that income that you leave in there without distributing before year end is going to be taxable to the trust, that income, that earnings within there. The interest or income or whatever that was distributed to the beneficiary, that's no longer be taxable to the trust. Now it's taxable to the beneficiary. If funds are distributed from the trust principal, no taxes would be due. Now, Of course, I would check with your advisor on the total inheritance amount, along with kind of how that factors into your specific state, because you also want to take a look at inheritance or estate taxes if they're applicable in this scenario. But yeah, general terms, the trust would pay tax on earnings that are left within the trust and not distributed. Any earnings that are distributed would be taxable then to the beneficiary. Next question is from Curtis. I recently did work for a church and gave them a good discount. Would it be better to do work at no discount? 
and give them a donation instead? What are some good strategies? I'm a single member LLC. Yeah, so let's go through an example of this. Let's assume that you're a cash basis taxpayer, which most small business owners are. So let's assume you're an electrician and you're doing work for a church. And the work that you do, you typically would charge $5,000 for. But because it's a church, you're only going to charge them $2,000 for it. In this scenario, you don't necessarily get any additional tax benefit. You're going to report that $2,000 that you charged as income, not the $5,000. You're going to report just the $2,000 that you charged as income. And any materials that you have in order to do that job would, of course, be deductible. Now, here's where you can get a benefit. If your materials were more than what you charged, then you would still be able to deduct that full amount of materials. So let's say your material cost was $3,000. You normally would charge $5,000, but instead you charged them $2,000. So you charge them $2,000, but your material cost was $3,000. You're going to show $2,000 as income, but you're going to show $3,000 as expenses, which is going to create kind of a loss in that specific scenario of $1,000. So that's kind of how that treatment would work. Now, most of the planning that, that we do when it comes to charity that we discuss is, is moving it from outside of a charitable contribution and into advertising. So this is not directly related to your specific scenario, but looking in a different lens. Because with the new increased standard deduction, many people lose out on a tax advantage of giving to a charity. If you're taking the standard deduction and not itemizing deductions, you're not going to get a deduction for that amount that you're giving to charity. And many people don't necessarily understand this. So we would like to see people move to typical charitable deductions to an advertising expense if possible. We're going to talk about some ways to do that. So if you support a charity and you can find a way to tie it to advertising, now you can take it as an advertising expense, which is going to be more beneficial than a charitable deduction, again, because you don't have to worry about that itemized deduction income limits. So some ways to do this. Let's say you're sponsoring a local event. You could put your logo on items or promotional materials that could be then lead to new business. So let's say you're sponsoring this you know, beer and wine thing that your church is putting on. And maybe churches don't put on that, but I see it around here locally. You, know, you could supply the cups for that event with your logo on it. Now it's an advertising expense. You're still contributing to that charity. You're supporting that charity through the event of a local event, but it's an advertising expense because you're putting your logo on an advertising item that could lead to new clients. Let's say you do a charity drive. And we do this a lot. We did this on the podcast. We do this within our partner firm. But we'll do a, a new client or social media, or if you leave a review, we'll do a charity drive. So we run a promo that says, for every new client that we get, or follower we get on social media, or review that's left on our iTunes podcast page, we're going to donate X amount to charity. Now that donation to charity becomes an advertising piece because our assumption is that people are going to become clients of ours or people are going to favor us over competition or people are going to follow us on social media and then potentially become a client or they're going to leave a review on our podcast page which will lead to more listeners, which is all part of advertising. So we're supporting charity in the form of advertising for our business. This moves that from a charitable deduction, which we might support that charity normally, now to an advertising expense. So again, not directly related to your question, but some ways around that ways to take advantage of charitable contributions. So hopefully that was helpful, Curtis. I know I kind of went down a little bit of a tangent, kind of going away from the specific topic that you mentioned, but hopefully that was helpful. We have a question from Deborah. Is it too late to take an S-Corp election? 
I discovered your podcast and this extremely valuable information just 10 days into the new year. Is there a way to retroactively pay myself the reasonable salary and take S-Corp status for 2022? I'm a single member LLC, one employee. Thank you. So this is a question that comes up a lot. You can still do a late S-Corp election and backdate that S-Corp election if you do a late election for 2022 back to January 1st, 2022. So you can still do the late S-Corp election. That's fine. But the problem that I run into is that if you didn't take any reasonable salary, you didn't do any of that in 2022 already. So now we have a problem of where we're an S-Corporation, but we didn't take any reasonable salary. And that can cause a red flag with the IRS. Now, sometimes we talk about some options and some risks that you can take, but ultimately, the only way to do this absolutely correctly would be to run payroll, backdate your payroll back to when, you know, that that year. When you do that, you're going to have penalties for late filing of tax returns because you have payroll tax returns that were due back in January that now you're filing late. You're going to have some interest penalties on the taxes on those related to those that you're going to pay. So can you do a late S-Corp election still now and debt backdated to January 1st, 2022? Yes, you can. But now you run into a problem. You didn't take a reasonable salary. And to take that reasonable salary, to backdate a reasonable salary, it might be possible, but you're going to face some interest and penalties on that. And so I say, just run that into your calculation to see if it makes sense. So some people kind of take the risk and say, okay, we're going to fix it moving forward. Some people say, nope, we're just going to start January 1st, 2023 now with an S corporation. Either way, you have some options, but the absolute correct way would be either to just bite the bullet, pay the taxes on it for not being on top of it for 2022, start fresh in 2023 with an S corporation, or do some back back work, back fees, penalties, all that, and then do the S corporation now. So a few options you have there. So those are the questions that came in today. And, and, and hopefully all this has been helpful. I hope this encourages others to submit your questions. I, I love this opportunity because it it gives me as the host an opportunity to understand what are some of that feedback? What are some of those things that you guys are looking for on your end? So if you're interested in submitting a question, having your question answered on the podcast, go to taxsavingspodcast.com, click podcast on the top, scroll to the bottom and submit your question. Again, you never know when your question might be on the next Q&A session. For those that submitted questions, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for engaging. For those that are listening, thank you for listening. Even if you're not submitting questions, even if you're not engaging in that way, thank you for listening. I also want to encourage you in this episode to leave us a review on wherever podcasting platform that you're listening to us. We really appreciate that. That helps us let us know, hey, we're doing a good job. We're doing things that are helpful to you as a community. So I just ask, whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, please leave a review. Check out our website for more information on what we're doing, along with our blog posts that go along with every podcast episode. That's at taxsavingspodcast.com. We also have a full YouTube channel. We record all of our episodes, recording video. If you prefer to learn that way, you can check that out at taxsavingstv.com. I want to thank you for listening to another episode. This was a super fun. Again, this is our first ever listener Q&A session that we're doing on an episode. We're going to be doing these periodically throughout the year and moving forward. So go ahead, submit those questions, get them over. And I can't wait to feature your question on next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. We're going to continue kicking off into tax saving strategies and plans next week. And I will see you then. Thank you. 
This has been another episode of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. If you enjoy our weekly episodes, please leave a review and share with other business owners. You can find previous episodes and more information at www.taxsavingspodcast.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.